Hi friends, this is episode 73 of the Bible Lab Podcast. You are listening to the Bible Lab Podcast, recorded before a very lively audience on the campus of Loma Linda University. Here's your host, Roy Ice. Welcome back, my friends. I'm so glad that you've come on this journey with us. We are going to go through the second half of chapter two of Ephesians in our series, God's Blueprint here. And I have to tell you, it's probably one of the most relevant conversations you can listen to. And the reason why is because it talks about how do you maintain unity at a time when so many issues divide us, whether it's political, religious, whether you wear a mask or not, whether you're vaccinated or not. How do you maintain unity as the people of God? And how do you bring peace into your community? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. Thanks so much for being part of this conversation. Make sure you go to our website, thebiblelab.com. Get the study guide that's connected to this episode on the episodes page and follow along as we enjoy this conversation. Welcome to the Bible Lab. You guys ready? All right, here we go. Number one, there are some things about me that are quite different from everyone else in this room. Oh, look at these different people. I, I am seeing, literally, I'm seeing four no cards out of about 275 people, almost 300 people today. And I'm seeing four no cards, almost everyone yes, a few maybes. And that's just because you're like, I don't know if there's a weirdo like me here. But all of you are saying there's something about you that's different from everyone else in this room. Something unique about you. And somehow we're all having a comfortable conversation together. Is that a miracle or what? <laughs> now, especially as we dig deeper into this, you understand that it wouldn't take long if we basically created two circles. Two, I, I think they call concentric circles, a circle in a circle. Um, and we started doing, you know, that speed meet or speed dating type of game where you go one person, then the next person, the next. It wouldn't take us very long before, when you asked what's different about you, before you found something you just did not like at all about that person, right? Because they would be really passionate about something you're very passionate against. And it wouldn't take us very long before we realized all the people we don't like in this room <laughs> based on our differences. But we're going to talk about that today in detail. Because what God is speaking through Paul as he talks about his blueprint for his people and what he wants his church to be built like. What, what is the framework? What, what does he want his, his people, his church, to look like? You're going to see it doesn't take us very long before we find something that divides us. So it's very interesting in chapter 2. And we're looking today at verses 11 to 22, the end of chapter 2. You're going to see that God talks very specifically about the things that divide us and the things that unite us. And you're going to see really clearly what will unite us today, despite the fact that we live in an era, because of our social media, our media, and our ability to communicate more quickly than any other generation before us, it's just helped us decide quicker who we don't like, Right? and have reasons for it, justified reasons for it. Number two, yes, no, or maybe. God would rather us be united 
than peculiar. Okay, so I'm seeing a majority of yes. I'm seeing about 75% yes. I'm seeing about 20% no and 5% maybe. And I know why some of you are saying no, and I know why some of you are saying maybe, and even some of you that said yes, in the back of your mind, you're still recalling what you were told as a child growing up in the church, if you grew up in the church, but you're recalling the phrase, God called us to be a peculiar people, and most of us define that as weird, right? God wants us to look weird in public. Um, But there's something peculiar about us that God is going to talk about. In Ephesians chapter 2, 11 to 22, there is a peculiarity about you that the world should notice. You should be peculiar to the world. But let me just set your mind at ease. You're not supposed to look weird. <laughs> I've worked with a lot of young people over, over my 28 and a half years now of, of ministry, and most young people are afraid to go all in to their Christian um, purpose and in their Christian life because they're afraid their friends will think that they're weird. And I've, I've said over and over to them, look, becoming a Christian does not make you more weird. Now it doesn't make you not weird. If you're weird, you're weird, right? You're just weird. But being a Christian doesn't make you more weird, okay? So keep that in mind. Number three, as church members, we can bring peace into our community. Ah, see, some of you are really struggling. You're like, I want to raise the yes card, but... And those of you who are saying maybe, you get it. This is a trick question. Because as you've read through verses 11 to 22, you see there's there's a source of peace, and it's not people. And so, yes, that's a trick question, and yes, you can hate me now. Because all of you that raised yes, although, yes, it is our responsibility as good citizens to make sure we're promoting peace... We, as citizens, will never bring peace without God. And we're going to talk about that today because there's a, it's a, it may seem minor, but it's very significant. There is a significant difference between trying to bring peace into your community and truly bringing the Spirit of God into your community. There is something that happens. We're going to talk about that today. Number four, we do a great job at our church of making outsiders feel like one of us. Uh Uh-oh, what happened? Because I'm seeing a majority, like 75, uh, maybe 70% no. And I'm seeing about 10% yes, and the rest are maybe. I could tell you that percentage, but I'm not a math major. So the majority of you are saying, chances are outsiders um, don't feel like one of us because we're not in some way doing a good job of helping outsiders feel like one of us. And we're going to talk about that because there's some very real, there's some real world issues today that the church has never grappled with before, that we're having to grapple with today. And so we're going to talk about that in detail. Number five, last one for yes, no, and maybe. God wants us to continually change and upgrade everything that we do at church to incorporate outsiders. Oh, this is the groaner. Okay, this is when people are groaning. Yes, it's so difficult. We are mixed. We are all over the place. This is like I'm looking at a kaleidoscope of colors here. Yes, no, and maybes might be equal today. This is hard. Why is it hard? Because it deals with change, and change is hard. 
No, I take that back. In church, change is impossible. <laughs> really, really impossible for us because all you have to do is even change the order of service. Um, there have been churches who have completely split over uh, a painting of a mural on the church wall. Uh, the silliest one of all, uh, some of you might have heard me talk about a couple years ago, is a mural that had Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve split the church. Why? Because artists had painted belly buttons on Adam and Eve. And that split the church. That's right, a church split over belly buttons. And for those of you that are wondering why, I'm sure there's an OB doctor here that could explain it to you why Adam and Eve should not have had belly buttons if it's theologically correct. But some people took it so seriously. It, there is another church in Oregon now uh, because they couldn't, they couldn't take the uh, theological inaccuracies depicted in, that, in one panel of eight in a mural. Churches can split over a lot of things, and it's probably because we tend to, to focus, just as humans, as things that are different from us. So I just want to ask this real quick, just what are some of the things that, that as you've uh, been through your church experience, whether that's a long time or whether you've just come about, what are some of the things that are distinguishedly different between us and those who are not Christians? Okay? What are things that are distinguishedly different about us and those that are non-Christians? Yes, Sharon. Treating others with compassion. So uh, which way? Uh, people who are not Christians treat people with compassion? No, we are Christians. Treat non-Christians with compassion. Oh, we do? Well, I think those of us who want to do. Ah, okay, good, good. Because I was about to... Uh, take you to a couple of churches I've visited who could care less. Good, good. We should. I agree, Sharon. Over here. Yes, Brian. Okay, rather than say like all the things that could be negative, I'm going to go with the most positive thing I found out in the last couple of years was cool. that the Adventist church as a whole is the most racially um, diverse institution yes. in the United States. Yes. So it may, it may be beyond that because like as far as churches go and even atheists and uh, non, we are the most uh, diverse. I think the top, uh, on a scale of one to 10, we're like a 9.1. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's, that's kind true. of amazing, especially yeah. with all the racial division yes. that's been going on. It's, yes. uh, so it's, 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 it's something that's a positive that. It's absolutely positive. And those of you that are Adventists here, because not all of you are, uh, there's several of you who are not. Uh, the Adventist church has tried to be very, very diverse. We're still dealing with issues, still fallout that we haven't rectified from the past. We still have regional churches. If you don't know what regional churches are, those are predominantly black churches. Um, and uh, one of my friends, I won't say what, what town because I don't have permission, but he is a district pastor of two churches. One is a multi-ethnic church and one is a black church. He's a black pastor himself. And uh, one of his greatest struggles over the past six years is he's trying to join these two churches that are only a half mile apart. Half mile. And he started trying to join these two churches when, after doing much work for the city and the mayor becoming very good friends with them, uh, the mayor, the very first introduction that he had to him, the mayor says, oh, you're the pastor of the racist church. 
He goes, whoa, 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 what are you talking about? Yeah, you have churches just for black people, and then you have the churches for everyone else or the white people over here. And he goes, no, 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 we can't be saying that to our community through our actions. And so he's been trying to bring them together. But the one thing that's keeping them apart, the desired style of worship. And so, because no one can, <laughs> no one can choose the channel, <laughs> or they can't decide which channel to land on, it's like, uh, it's like driving your kids in the car, and they want, they want control of the radio. And you're like, this is not going to be a long trip, right? <laughs> exactly. All right, back here. Who has a blue microphone? There we go. Yeah. Um, I think we have the distinguishable gift of hope. Yes. Yes, and it's huge. We're going to talk about that in detail today because Paul actually lists five different things that the Gentiles, the people who were non-Jews, did not have. And after he lists those things, you're going to be able to sum them all up in one word, hope. They didn't have the same hope that the Jews had, but now they will because of, because of something. I don't want to spoil the surprise. Green microphone. Green microphone back here. Yeah, Larry. Well, she just stole my answer. Uh, we have a hope for the future. Yes. A life beyond this. It's not, this is not just all there is, that there's a hope for a future in heaven. That, that's true, Larry. I've always wondered, especially, especially at funerals, how is it that people who don't believe there's more, that there's more life to, to come? I mean, what a different experience it is at, at a funeral isn't it? I agree. Blue microphone down here. Yeah. I just have one question. What do you think about the Thai church, Romanian church, Indonesian church, Chinese church? Yeah. Is it a division or is it good for us? See, and, and that's an interesting point. I think first generationally, it's, it's crucial that you have a language church in the place that, where people live so they can hear the gospel in their own language. And so that's where the Chinese church, the Japanese church, the Romanian church, the Korean church, there are 26, excuse me, 29 Adventist churches within six miles radius of where I'm currently standing. And many of them are language churches. So I think it's very, very important for us to have the gospel in a, a person's language that they can fully understand and fully grasp the gospel in the same way that we try to take the Greek, the Hebrew, and the Aramaic here and break it down into your language. English, so you can understand the gospel better. So I think it's very important there. What happens, though, is when it becomes so generational that now you got the English service over here, and you got the mother tongue language over here, and there comes a time in many churches when those two services are actually at odds with each other, and they split as different churches. I saw there is a church within six miles of here that split within the last five years, and it was all over tradition versus progression. And so there, there are issues. Red microphone, over here. Nutina loaf casserole. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I we brought friends to church, and they say, I've never seen that in any other church. <laughs> and I never want to see it again, I'm sure, is <laughs> the follow-up statement they said. Yeah. My, yeah. my band teacher... Um, at Glendale Academy, Ellsworth Judy, we used to have these band competitions, and he had this animosity 
uh, over a long-standing animosity for other people because when he used to be in band competitions, they used to call our academy cabbage heads. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of name calling and yep. we'd see the first verse in our, in our scripture today and there's a lot of name calling and, yeah. and there's something to be said about being peculiar yes. in the world and sometimes what we're known for may not be hope and in yeah. diversity and all the the good things but sometimes yeah. it's nutina love casserole <laughs> a lot of times yes and and that leaves a bad taste in their mouth in many different ways yes we're going to talk a lot more about that today randy because what you brought up in a very very real world experience this animosity this rivalry um is what happens a lot within the family of God. We can't celebrate what God is doing over there because it's not evident over here. We're not celebrating the same success here, so we can't celebrate the success over there. And so animosity comes when God is being successful in places, and what it ends up doing is dividing God's people instead of uniting God's people. One of the things that I thought of that's a dangerous thought when I was studying for this week is how often during my childhood, the greatest fear that people were talking about that might happen to the church is we might have a united religion. And I don't know if you grew up with that same thing, and I understand there are issues within, well, by being united, does that mean I have to accept some beliefs that I feel is an error? And I understand that, but I think it's interesting that the greatest fear that was preached to me is one day, you'll know it's horrible when God's people are all united. <laughs> and I think that's really interesting. I think, I think we have to keep that in mind as we talk today. Over here, Green Mike, I think, was next. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for sharing that because I wanted to tell you that I went to Las Vegas and went to a Sabbath school, and they said, what, where are you? What, what happens in Vegas? Stays in <laughs> Vegas. <laughs> so I, I go to church on Sabbath, and they ask me, where are you from? I said, Loma Linda. They say Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. I said, what, what do you mean? So, I, so, you know, even within our church, yeah. people view Loma Linda differently. It's, it's they, true. Yeah. When, I, when I was in seminary in, in Michigan, um, if a student would, would have a comment, and it was different, you know, from what some of the other people thought, mm -hmm. one of the arguments that the guys would use was, they would say, where are you from? And whenever the guy would say, I'm from California, yeah. they were oh, pfft, like, we just got to throw it away. Yeah. It's from California, you mm. know. Mm -hmm. They're going to fall off into the ocean, so we shouldn't even listen to them today. Fortunately, I was from Texas during that time, and they, mm. I would say Texas, and they'd all be quiet because they thought I'd beat them up. But other than that, um, <laughs> if you said you were from California, they would discredit it just simply because, well, you're from the liberal West Coast. Yep. yep. Be, because of that. Can, I, can I just add to that? Please. Because, you know, everybody mentioned hope. I, I, the Christianity hopes for everybody else. Ah. Do you see what I mean? Like self-sacrificing spirit of service yes. is really for people that anyone can be part of yes. God's kingdom. I think that is so unique. Absolutely. That's, that's profound. Profound. Blue microphone, and then, and then we're going to get into the text. Yes, sir. Happy Sabbath, everyone. My name is Hector. Hi, and, Hector. Um, Nice to meet you guys. Great, glad nice you're here. Nice to meet you. <laughs> so um, I feel the one of the biggest differences is uh, we have a, an accountability 
to a higher power, ah, our God. Yeah, I love that, and I love your viewpoint, because most people, when you talk about differences, you're talking about others are different from me. And I love what you did there, because you're saying, no, the difference is I need to be different than those in a positive way, in a, in a recognizable way. Okay, you talked me into two more. Okay, you and you. Yes, go ahead, Carolyn. Okay, so harken back to the 60s, harken back to the 70s, et cetera. What was weird and what was outsiding and what was unacceptable was the Wedgwood, uh, mm -hmm. Roy Ice and playing drums, and things like that. <laughs> now, nowadays, how do we still look, and, and anybody coming in jeans, of course, and especially if they were tattered. But nowadays, we look and how accepting are we of people who of different sexual persuasions yes. than we are. Do yes. we understand that everyone has been created by God? Yes. And whether or not they act or think or love like we do, yes. does not mean that God does not love them. So what are mm -hmm. we to do? Shun? Hmm. You, you, bring up, you bring up the tough, tough topic. Mm -hmm. I mean, once we got past the music and the, and the genes, we... Mm -hmm. We, we got to the issue that ultimately the world sees us as different. In a poll that was done uh, less than a decade ago, um, unchurched people were asked to define Christians. And how they defined it, you'd be abhorred because it was all the things Christians hate. Christians hate gay people. Christians mm -hmm. hate atheists. Christians hate certain political parties. It was hate, 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 hate. So we're going to talk about that today. How do you deal with beliefs in your heart that you hold dearly, even when it, it has to do with sexual orientation, when it deals with what is appropriate and inappropriate? Who is allowed to have leadership and voice positions? That's the place we are today. It, we're not having the conversation about drums today. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, in some yeah. churches they are, <laughs> but the reality is the people outside the church would look at that and say, no, the real issue is, and they'll look at some of the issues we're going to talk about today. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, uh, hold oh, up the red mic. Put it closer. I was not raised in the Adventist church, and I love the church, and I yeah. love the positivity. Yeah. However, uh, and we go to a small conservative church in Michigan because it's the only one there uh -huh. in our town. Uh -huh. But um, the one thing that's bothered me throughout the years is when you bring new people, people you're studying the Bible with, is someone always says, we have the truth. With a capital and I've T. Never, yeah. I've never heard that in, from any other yeah. people in other churches, and I yeah. like cringe yes. when I hear it. Yeah. Um, because if we, we all have the Word of God, which is the truth. Yeah. And I, I love that. I, I love mm -hmm. that you shared that um, because <clears throat> you're, you're, you're correct. I grew up mostly in small churches, and um, I brought friends to, to mm -hmm. church. It tended to be one time only. <laughs> um, and, it, and it really had to do with, we all ask ourselves a question. And you might ask that question when you invite your loved ones here to the Bible lab. What am I bringing them there to receive? Mm 
And I grew up in a church where I needed to bring people to my congregation so that they would receive the truth because they're living in error. And so they would come and they would hear logical, most of the time, logical (laughs) sermons on why we're more correct than the church across the street. And why you need to come to us is because we're more correct. We're the church of the Bible. They're the church of, well, they do whatever they want that that fits them, but we have the truth. They have whatever. Mm -hmm. But if you really want to live the truth and you're responsible now that you heard it, Mm -hmm. you're responsible to live according to what you've heard. And so we had knowledge that other churches did not have. What we did not possess was a loving community. Mm-hmm. I, I, and Amen. this is harsh to say, but many of the churches, not all of them, but many of the churches I grew up in talked me out of being part of that church community for the rest of my life. So that by age 15, I knew I was not going to be part of the Adventist church. Mm. I would still believe in God. Mm-hmm. I would find some faith expression somewhere, but because of the lack of compassion and the overwhelming arrogance of my church theologically, mm-hmm. They talked me out of it because it was not a comfortable place for me to bring my friends. It was not a place that the people that I brought said, this is the most loving center of my community. I couldn't imagine going anywhere else outside these walls and finding a more loving expression of the gospel than within these walls. I, I couldn't think of going anywhere else but this church because I go through all my week and I'm unloved and I come on this day into this building, and I'm loved more than I'm, I'm loved anywhere else in my community. That was not the experience. And yet, what we've learned in the Bible lab is if you want to see the presence of God, you will definitely see the presence of love, and love that is mm-hmm. agape, this mm-hmm. love that goes beyond what the yeah. earth can provide. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Raul, you got the last word before the Bible text. Uh, green microphone. It, it seems that we are introducing a number of controversial topics here this morning. Oh, which just is, wait, Raul, just wait. Well, it's going to be a ride today. May I introduce another one? Please? You always do. Okay, well. Um, <laughs> we are about to read the text, and I read it already quickly, and I found sir, some interesting words that are actually synonymous, yes. outsiders, mm-hmm. um, excluded from citizenship, strangers, foreigners. Yeah. So I suggest that in addition to the uh, implicit or explicit <laughs> meaning of the text that we are about to read, we, um, we make a change um, in, in these words and reflect on its new meaning yes. or old meaning, which is instead of using those words, outsiders, yes. strangers, foreigners, in the back of our mind or in the front, mm-hmm. better, yeah. we put illegal immigrants. Ooh. Is that controversial enough or should I <laughs> add to it? It's, um, it's controversial, but it's not controversial enough because the words are actually stronger than that. Okay. In, in, in fact, I'm glad you said this because I also, when we read through this the first time together, I want you to let these words hit you so hard because outsiders is what this is all about. This section is not written to the Jews. 
it's written to you, Gentiles. Unless some of you might be fortunate enough to have some Jewish heritage here. If that's the case, well, you should be teaching the class, not me, because I'm a Gentile. I'm an outsider. But the word, when you see, um, uh, especially when it said you were excluded from citizenship in verse 12, excluded, um, that word actually would probably make more sense if you understood the Greek understanding of that word being estranged. Now, I don't know how many of you, but I imagine many of the families here have a family member who has estranged themselves or you have estranged yourself from them, and there's a reason why. There's never not a reason for people to be estranged, which basically is like divorcing yourself from your family. So, in other words, Raul, it's worse than having animosity against a person who's in your country illegally. You have personal reasons that are justified to be estranged from. And the Jews had estranged themselves from the Gentiles for multiple reasons we'll get into. But it's even worse than just having someone who is different from you. It is someone that you have chosen to stiff arm and you're not allowed in the door because we're estranged and there's very good reason for it. So thank you, Raul, because that is the emotional impact. That's the emotion that the Gentiles would have read this as outsiders who were estranged by the Jews. And God is saying, look, I'm in the business of putting families back together. And that's why he uses family terminology coming up. So let's read this together. Ephesians 2, verse 11 to 22, New Living Translation reads like this. Don't forget that you Gentiles, read this as yourself, that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God, and here's that word, without hope. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has, bought the, uh, has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when, in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. And he did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. Verse 17, he brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him, and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together, we are his house. 
built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. So let's take a look at this. It's all about outsiders. And those of you Christians who think that Christianity started with Christ, you got to take another history lesson, remind yourself or refresh your course that Christ was not the Christian Messiah. He was the Jewish Messiah. You weren't part of this. You weren't waiting for it. You weren't expecting it. You weren't reading the prophecy for it. You're an outsider. And now this Christ Messiah comes in the form of Jesus, the Son of God comes, and the Jews are really torn. Was this Messiah or not the Messiah? And those that see through prophecy and what Jesus did and how, how he did it and how he fulfilled prophecy, the Jews start getting really excited because the long-awaited Messiah had come and now forgiveness of sin was available in the way that it was spoken of all through the prophets of old. So the Jews are getting excited. Well, of course, Gentiles hearing in say, what is this? Son of God and all these proofs. There's no way to fill in the blanks of all this stuff that is impossible without filling in the name of God. God is real? And Jesus came in the flesh as the Son of God? Well, that's the God we want to serve. And so the Gentiles become convinced in the Jewish God because of Jesus and because of what he showed about God. And he proved God through his life and through the miracles and through his, through his expression of who God is to his people. And so these outsiders who weren't Jews, they, they weren't the special people that for thousands of years God had worked with to try to bring them into an everlasting relationship with him in heaven. These are people outside of the chosen people of God. So the Jews are saying, you're not the chosen people. How could you have a part of this? God gave the promise to us. Not, I'm sorry, he just, he just didn't give the promise to you. It stinks to be you. But if God would have wanted you to be a Jew, he would have had you born a Jew. And so there's this real divide between Jews who took pride. Now, mind you, a Jew did not view himself as a Jew by religion. He viewed himself as a Jew by nationality. So these are nationality issues. These are racial issues. You're not of my race. And so why should God bless you when he promised my race this blessing and he never promised your race this blessing? We don't read it that way today because we just think, well, we're all Christians. and No, we're Gentiles unless you grew up as a Jew, a nationalistic Jew by race. This promise that God made to Abraham was not for you if you're not a Jew. This promise was only to the Jews. So God is saying in this verse, he's saying, don't worry, because in my whole plan, all you could see was this. All you could see was God wanting to give special treatment to one race. But that's not how God is. 
God wants to bless all people. In fact, when he spoke to Abraham and said, I will bless you, the blessing was that you would be a blessing to all nations, right? That was the blessing to Abraham, is that he would bless everybody else who wasn't part of his race. And so God's coming back to him and saying, look, you guys get so focused on yourself, you miss the fact that the Jews are supposed to bless the whole world, and this is the outcoming of the prophecy. How was Abraham's blessing supposed to bless the whole world? Is because now you're a witness that God is not only real, but God loves you so much he would come down and die for you to a group of people that could care less. And so in this, God is saying, look, okay, you guys are really tough with my plan. You're not reading the whole blueprint. You're just reading about the room that you care about, your bedroom, the kitchen, the laundry room. I've got, I've got a mansion with many, many rooms, and I want everyone there. And so what he's saying here is, look, the Jews treated you like outsiders. Don't forget that. But God's trying to tell you, I have a different plan a plan that deals with uniting two different groups of people, the insiders and the outsiders, together as one people. And so as you look at this, we have to ask the question, what are some of the challenges we face today as we strive for unity? Who might be considered outsiders in our present day? This is where the rubber hits the road. God's calling us to be united what are some of the challenges, the, the things that are dividing us today? And it could be something really simple or it could be something fairly complex. Go ahead and raise your comment cards, your question cards, and we will get a microphone to you. Who wants to start us off? Yeah. I think uh, the political environment has really created divisions among Adventists. Yeah. Unlike any other time in my life, yeah. uh, where some of those uh, political divisions have spilled over into our conversations, yes. our relationships with people. Yeah. Like another, no other time. I mean, some of us here lived through the Vietnam divisions of the war yeah. in the early 60s, but I've never experienced anything like this now where yeah. we become enemies of each other over politics, yeah. and then it spills over into how we feel about religious issues. I, I agree. Thank you, Dr. Osborne. I, I think that's probably one of the, the things that's troubled me the most in the last two years is just how have we as the people of God responded to very diverse opinions. And one of the questions that you have here on the back of the sheet actually asked, um, God's desire, of course, is, is for us to be united, but how, how is God's desire different from how he's portrayed in the church, in entertainment media, and in politics? And I'm, I'm afraid to say that the church as a whole has really maligned the character of God and even the definition of church and Christian in the last year and a half with how it's been politicized, like who are you for? You couldn't possibly be for that person. I thought you were a Christian. Well, you couldn't possibly be for that person. I thought you were a Christian. And, it, and it's just, I think, I think one of the, the toughest things that's happened in the past year and a half has driven me to realize the danger of thinking that being against something is a position. Now, I'll explain it to you this way. You guys ready to go? I'll take you on a field trip. Uh, let's pretend this is a bus, okay? And we're all going to go places, and guess what? I'm your driver. That's right. Buckle up. Okay, so I'm your driver, and we're driving. 
And some of you are sitting kind of close to me. And so you ask the obvious question. Okay, Roy, um, where are we going? Are, 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 we, are, we going, are we going shopping? Are we, uh, there's a Walmart right there. Are we stopping at Walmart? I said, no, I would never shop at Walmart. Have you seen? They wear pajama bottoms to shop in what? I would never go to a store that allows you to wear pajamas. Okay, so you're against Walmart? Yes, I'm against Walmart. I'm, I'm anti-Walmart. Oh, okay, well, there's a Target right there. Can, can we stop at Target? Are you kidding? They're not much better. Have you seen what the ladies wear in Target? I mean, seriously, yoga pants? I don't, think the, I don't think that lady's ever done yoga. I think the only yoga move that lady's ever done is to get into those pants. And she doesn't belong in those pants. I'm not going to go shopping at Target because Lord knows what I'll see there. Those poor yoga pants are going to say, I give up. And I don't want to be there when that thing comes loose. So I'm anti-Target. Okay, so, so where are we going? Where are you taking us? Are, you're taking us to an amusement park, aren't you? We're going to an amusement park. Oh, uh, okay, yes, uh, I can take you to an amusement park. Okay, great. Are you taking us to Universal? Are you kidding? I'm, I'm anti-Universal Studios. Have you seen the crowds and the light? Have you seen the movies that are coming out at Universal Studios? I'm anti-Universal Studios. So where, where are we going? Are, are you taking us to a ball game? It's Sunday. We can go to a football game. Who's... Who's your favorite team? And I said, well, yes, I love NFL, but I'm, I'm an ABC fan. Well, what's an ABC fan? Anybody but the Cowboys. <laughs> so who do you root for? Anybody but the Cowboys. I thought you said you were a fan. Are, are we going to a game or not? Where are we going? Can you see the problem with your direction and your position being against things, you know where you're not going, but nobody knows where you're going, including yourself, because you haven't taken a position. I love Mother Teresa's statement when she was asked, why are you not marching with the anti-war protest? And she said, if you have a pro-peace rally, I'll be there. Because she understood the danger of allowing your, quote, position to be anti because being anti-something is not for anything. You can be so against one political uh, candidate that when people ask, why are you voting for one person, you say, because it's not so-and-so. And why do you think we get ourselves repeatedly into this cycle of politicians that don't do anything? It's because we're not asking them to promise to do anything because their position is not to do something. Their position is, well, I'm not him. I'm not her. And so we get the same thing over and over again because we're in a bus where people are, the driver is anti. And as long as the driver is anti, you're not going to get anywhere. You just know where you're not going to go. So ultimately, when you look at what brings unity into diversity, you always have to go back to the words of the Bible, and especially the words of Christ. Mark chapter 12, verse 31 is probably one of the prime examples that we misread, where we read, love your neighbor as yourself. But I'm telling you, as a linguist, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible does not say love your neighbor as yourself, and I'm very thankful for that. Because if I'm only called to love my neighbor as myself, you know, I'm pretty humble, <clears throat> extremely humble, I should say. Um, 
And, you know, I always love other people more than myself, and so I don't have to love other people as much as, because, well, I already love them more than myself. That's why the Bible does not say love your neighbor as yourself. If you read it in Greek and hear it in Koine Greek, and that was your mother tongue, you would have heard the distinctiveness of the word that we translate as as. It's not as. It's the word similar, similarity, which they would have heard Love your neighbor because they have similarities to you. You get the difference. Because instead of looking at your neighbor and saying, I love you despite how we're different, you love your neighbor because, well, yeah, we may disagree on all these different points, but we do share some things in common. I have to tell you, some of my best friends for life, the majority of things, we are different. We are very different from each other. We see things differently. We do life differently. But there are some similarities that keep us bonded. There's some similarities. So even the, the, the person that you can't stand the most, if you stop and say, but what do we have in common? You'll find the ability to love that person on a depth that you never could if you're trying to do it comparatively. This isn't love your neighbor like you love yourself. This is love your neighbor because your neighbor is yourself. They're just like you in many ways, and that brings unity. Uh, I don't know who was first, I think it was Red Mike, yes. Yes, in my own experience, you know, I'm a foreigner, I'm from Costa Rica originally, and when I came up here, I always encountered different situations throughout my work and whatever else activities I did. But I then I realized as being an outsider, I just felt the need of being accepted. Yeah. So, and then I, I, I started acting like somebody that will love to be accepted. Yeah. But I encountered many differences. So, in my own country, people are very friendly. They're always accepting anybody. They love everybody. I don't know. It's something we have. Hmm. But, uh, over here, sometimes I encounter people being, you know, a little bit stiff about you, you know, because you don't speak well, you have an accent, and you don't have the ways we have over here. But uh, through Christ, I can look through all of that and yeah. say, you know what, I'm going to put aside all the differences, mm -hmm. and I'm going to let myself be, you know, humble and say, you know, I, I want to be accepted but I don't have to be accepted in order for me to be who I am yeah I'm just gonna be myself mm -hmm. and love myself as I love other people yeah. and it's been working for me all these years I've been blessed uh, I just retired from my work that I did for 16 years mm -hmm. and uh, I'm in the works of a new job that I found that I love would love to do and i just been accepted at that job at the new, new job after that the interview i did so i've been blessed me and my wife we both are from costa rica Jenny, and we both are blessed because we look everything through christ's eyes yeah. and we just say lord i mean I, got, I just gotta be humble they don't have to accept me for who i am yeah it's because you who gives me the grace towards other people. So that's yeah. how I feel. I, I, I love that. And I, yeah, it's beautiful. 
Couple of things, uh, yeah, Costa Rica, you guys are probably more united because your coasts are closer together. Our coasts are really spread out. And so we got <laughs> East Coast people and West Coast people are quite different. Um, but I, I would say you bring up a really good point because you have to read the scripture the way it was heard by the original listeners to this scripture. This scripture is saying, look, as we're looking at acceptance, which is what you were talking about, you can look for it in people, which of course the Gentiles were looking for acceptance from the Jews. The text never goes there. The text only says, let me tell you, you're accepted by God. And I think the reason why the emphasis is there is because humanity is never in lockstep doing the will of God. And because of that, Paul and anyone in the church could see the major issue. Paul's not wasting ink on a non-issue. The major issue in Ephesus, even though it was an amazing church, one of the most loving churches, there still was this feeling of non-acceptance by the Gentiles from the Jews. And the whole reason why God is inspiring these words to the Gentiles is to say, even though you don't feel accepted by everyone, you are accepted by me. And that's where you take, it's, it's like Maslow's pyramid, many of you have seen, you know, where, where are you self-actualized? Where do you find your, your greatest, you know, your greatest fulfillment of life? And it truly is fulfilled in not how other people are accepting you. Because if that's the fact, oh my word, I would have quit 20 plus years ago because there are people who hate what I do. And then there's you guys. Um, <laughs> but if I focused on the people that don't like what I do, I would give up. And God says you can't because it's not about other people's opinion. It's about God's opinion of who you are. And you are not estranged. You're part of my family. You were foreigners and strangers, but now you're part of my family. Exactly. Blue mic. Thank you for bringing that up because I was thinking, you know, most of the time we think about how other person is likable. But the key here is for me to think about myself. Am I likable to the other person? Yeah. And that is important because Jesus' last commandment was go make disciples. Yes. If people do not like me because I'm not likable, nobody's going to listen to me. You know, and that is, a, that is an important thing we need to realize because I'm likable because God loves me. Yeah. He likes me. He likes everybody else. Absolutely. And in terms of, you know, like helping people in this country, the way the legal system is set up, I want to help 20,000 people. Everybody does. But one of the nurses was telling me, if you want to help somebody, you have to hire an attorney first. That is a big problem, you know, and, uh, and you can do this in other countries, but here it's become a business legal system, and that yeah. makes everything difficult. Uh, absolutely. I, I agree. Red mic. Sorry, another accent here. Um, <laughs> first thing, um, drummers become very good pastors because. <laughs> can can I get an amen? Yeah. <laughs> They know how to do a polyrhythm and keep the whole band together. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> right. You, sir, are going to heaven. Okay. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah. That was a. Yes. Yes. That was a, waiting for that. Um, <laughs> okay. Outsiders. Uh, my opinion: if we don't see each other with God's heart's eyes, 
everybody's an outsider. Yes. And when we see through God's eyes, everybody's a sinner. Yes. Desperately in need of Him. Yes. So for me, the vision for church is SA, yes. Sinners Anonymous. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. I absolutely love that. Uh, blue microphone here. So the thoughts that I had, I had two comments. In the first comment, um, are things that are dividing us. And in, in my circle, the thing that seems to be the most divisive is um, vaccines. Yes. So vaxxers and no vaxxers. I was with a buddy last week. In his, he believes that the organization, I'm ed education, public education, and he believes that um, there's haves and haves-nots. If you, if you don't have the vaccine, then you're in the have-not category. So he actually, in his family, four of four, two of them have the vaccine and two of them don't. Yeah. He has the vaccine but refuses to tell the organization, so he goes to get his weekly tests, which is, I don't understand that. I just, I just love him. Yeah. Okay? So um, going back to the, the, I loved your analogy for the bus, and I was, I was wondering if that ties into your question number five. And so if, if I were to look at that and I were to say um, the bus is the Adventist church, yeah. uh, my, my thoughts on that are, well, why not just tell everybody where you're going to, where you, those people that want to go to Target, go to Target. You know, why, why do we have to get on the bus in the first place? Yeah. So that's kind of I, where I thought about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, short answer is it's a long walk. Um, <laughs> Um, the long answer is this. I, I'm glad you brought up anti-vax and, and vax, and, and I'm just going to throw in mask and, and non-mask. Um, there, there are people close to me who are part of church fellowships, uh, groups. Uh, one individual um, is on a text thread. They're in a, a small group Bible study, and uh, they start going off on this text thread about how how careless and, and idiotic anti-vaxxers are, people who aren't getting the vaccine, um, and how selfish it is, and uh, they go on and on and on. Well, my loved one has decided for them, because of the research and the information they have in their environment and what they do and their exposure levels, it's probably best not to get an, a, a not deeply tested vaccine for them. And so this thread's going on and on, and this person doesn't know what to do. So finally has to text as it's getting closer to the time for the small group Bible study and say, I, I will not be able to come. When asked why, they say, well, because I've chosen not to get vaccinated. Well, the whole group realizes it's very, I, I, I think the issue for us as humanity and as society, as church members, we make so many assumptions and we make so many blanket statements without stopping and realizing the people who have a difference opinion are not of a difference opinion because they're idiots or because they're mean or because they're trying to kill everybody. There are reasons for everyone to choose a different path. So the question is, how do you have unity and peculiarity at the same time? And I mean this in every way. I, I'm going to throw in the, I mean, we have riots over racial issues, and was it justice or was it not justice in a, in a judgment call by a jury? Um, how can you be united and peculiar at the same time and not all have the same opinion? And I think that's what chapter 2, verse 11 to 22 comes through. The peace is not brought into your community because you roll over 
and have no opinion. The peace comes in your community if you bring the Holy Spirit into your community. The Holy Spirit breathes truth and helps people change their mind, and if it really is that big of a deal to God, he's going to change someone's mind to make it the same as your opinion. And that's just how it is. But I want to take it a step farther, because I've had people tell me that I'm racist unless I'm anti-racist. And I have to say to those people, because they will not accept my very honest statement, which is I am not racist. I wish I could tell those people, understand if you're anti-anything, you're making the matter worse. Because I think someone who's experiencing racism against themselves, discrimination of any kind, does not benefit by me attacking the people around them that are having racist or discriminating behavior. How that person personally benefits is if I am pro that person, pro that person's dignity, pro that person's equality, let that person know how much I care about that person on a personal level. So how do you help a person be able to feel accepted, be able to back up from feeling like they're surrounded by racist people? Well, you go be the loving person to them. Bring the Spirit of Christ into their midst and say, I love you, and let me help you fulfill your life's greatest goals. That's why God placed me as a friend in your path, is to help you achieve higher things than you ever thought possible. Because that's what God called me to do, to elevate your dignity. That's what Jesus Christ did with everyone that came into his path, especially those that the church threw at his feet. He elevated the dignity of people who the church was anti. Jesus himself did not have anti-speech. He was not anti-politics. He said, render unto Caesar what Caesar's. He never ran for office and changed politics. He never had his group of disciples vote as a block. He acted as if it just didn't matter because he was on to bigger and better business. And what was that business? Letting the people around him see a different picture of the kingdom of God, which is a God that loves you so much that he brings hope into all the world all the kingdoms, not just people who think they're special because of what they do and what they do not do. That's how you bring unity and still be peculiar. What's your peculiarity? Jesus said in John 13, 34 and 35, the world will recognize you as different because you love. I sure hope you've been moved by this conversation. I, I hope you've been moved to love the people in your community. It is so important for us to show the people around us the true character of God. So thank you so much for listening to this episode. In our next episode, we're going to move on to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, where we talk about why is it that God allows himself to be misunderstood for so long and I know you're going to be blessed by that conversation so please come back we'll see you next time thank you for listening to the Bible Lab podcast if you're planning a trip to Southern California make sure to reserve your VIP seats in the Bible Lab by emailing us at info at programs are recorded each Saturday at 10.30 a.m. we hope to see you soon until then we wish you God's richest blessings as you continue to research and develop the character of God.